Uh, we're going to be talking this morning about um, all things new and uh, kind of carrying out the theme of, of resurrection. Uh, there's a text that probably most of you are familiar with out of John 3, 3, where Jesus said, you must be born again. And, uh, but there's a particular version I have here where he says, uh, most assuredly, he's actually talking to Nicodemus. He says, I tell you, unless a person is born anew, that he cannot see the kingdom of God. Uh, I love that, born anew. There's something about the Christian experience that brings new. And um, that new centers around the person and the work of Jesus Christ. There's something really hopeful about new. It, um, it means that what has happened in the past doesn't have to keep controlling or happening in the future. It doesn't have to control the future or inform the future. And when new comes, it means that, that, that what we have seen and what we have experienced does not have to remain there, that things can be different, that same old doesn't have to stay same old, right? And uh, that's what this idea of new implies. It also implies the notion of freshness. Um, there's something wonderful about new things, like a new marriage or a new baby right? or a new job or you know, all of those kind of places of new. They smack of innocence and idealism and hope. But all of us know, if you've lived longer than a week, all of us know that things can go badly. And what started out as fresh and hopeful sometimes ends up kind of old and dead. It can happen in marriages. It can happen, you know, even in families. I mean, those, those new babies end up becoming challenging teenagers or deadbeat 30-year-olds who don't leave the nest. <laughs> it can happen when you, when you get a job that you thought you'd be able to change the world with it, and now all it has is suck all over it. And, uh, you know, I'm old enough, and I've discovered that it's pretty easy for we humans to get jaded. And then we start shutting down. An interesting text in Proverbs that says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. There's a lot of heart sickness in life. Because the things we hoped for get dashed. And, you know, you can start out in a home and the hopes get dashed. You can start in a job. Some of you maybe serve as policemen or as teachers or social workers or some kind of really noble area that you're trying to enrich people. Even this happens with ministers where you start out and you're trying to, to cha bring change into people's lives, bring strength into people's lives. And, and you start realizing that, that people don't always respond to you, and things don't often change as quickly as you thought, and, and sometimes your efforts don't yield as much fruit as you had hoped, and sometimes people don't, they're not thankful for you, or even worse, they take advantage of your kindness, and you go through the motions and through the motions week after week, month after month, month year after year, and sometimes you can end up in a place where you just feel worn out. It's in the face of this that Jesus makes the claim that we can have new that we can be renewed, that somehow as we encounter the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we can, we, we, we can tap into Him making all things new. And as a result, we get lots of do-overs. <laughs> and, and it means that we can somehow bring a freshness back into what lost its freshness, which means we can recapture innocence and recapture being motivated by ideals and motivated by hopes even when we've been in the same place for years, and even though the results we've seen aren't exactly all that promising, we can come 
because we're animated by something greater than what we see. We're strengthened and encouraged by something beyond ourselves. This idea of freshness, it's captured beautifully in the notion of bread in the Bible. And uh, if you remember that the story of the Jews that are in uh, bondage, they're brought out of bondage of Egypt, and when they're in the, uh, uh, in the wilderness, they, they have this stuff that shows up on the ground every day. It's called manna. And they go out and they gather it. But they can't gather it for a few days. I mean, they can't like gather one, go out and gather a bunch for a week because by the next day it would start to rot and worms would show up in it. And it was, they had to go out every day and get the fresh bread. They had to get fresh bread. <laughs> well, that kind of notion of fresh bread is what Jesus is to us. That somehow he's the bread of heaven and that we, we can go into our relationship with him and in faith and experience fresh bread every day. That's why he says, our father who art in heaven, this is the way we pray. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done as earth as it is in heaven. Give us this, our, our daily bread. Fresh hot bread here. Right? Our daily bread. Not leftover yesterdays, but daily fresh bread. This is something about the Christian experience that transcends ethics. It has ethics in it. It has morals in it. It has rules in it. But there's something about it that transcends that, that's bigger than that. And what it is is that moment of encountering the actual person of God who makes our lives fresh and new and innocent and alive. This is, and what makes this idea of new possible is the thing we celebrated a couple of weeks ago, Resurrection Sunday. Somehow in the minds of the early church, that notion of resurrection changed everything. The gig got changed, right? Now, as I shared with you then, it created some confusion because the resurrection did, obviously. Jesus was raised from the dead. Here's why it was confusing. Because if you would have asked anybody in that ancient world that believed in resurrection, if you would have asked them, what happens in the resurrection? And this is true today. Those people that believe in the resurrection would say the same thing. What happens in the resurrection of the dead? They would answer, number one, everybody gets raised. And number two, it's the end of the world and the start of a new world, right? That's what people would say. So when Jesus was resurrected from the dead, resurrected from the dead, they're going, why isn't anybody else resurrected? And is it the end of the world? So the way they faced that is, number one, it confused them. It created a tension because Jesus was raised from the dead, not everybody. And yet, as they noodled it, as they pondered it, as they worked it through, they began to think, no, 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 no. When he was raised from the dead, everybody was raised from the dead. In one sense, in a spiritual sense, his death was the death of humanity. His burial was the burial of humanity. And his resurrection was the resurrection of humanity. In other words, he paved the way for it. It really was the resurrection of all. See? So we read in Romans chapter 4 where Paul talks about this. He says, Jesus was delivered for our death, for our sins. He was raised to life for our justification. It wasn't just something he did. He actually did it for all, which doesn't get fulfilled until the last day when all get raised. But here's this crazy kind of tension. This business with Jesus and this business of resurrection meant it's happened, but not yet. It's here, but not completely here. And this tension of now, not yet, is what 
theologians have come to call the eschatological tension. It means that the kingdom's here, but not yet. Jesus' reign is here, but not yet. Fully here. And so that means that there's new, but there's old. Right? And so you have to kind of get your mind around that. Secondly, <laughs> they, they thought, well, it can't be the end of the world. We're all standing here. But then they, as they thought it through, they said, no, no, no. It is the end of the world. Because Jesus' resurrection was the start of a new kind of living. So it was the end of the world and the start of a new kind of world that culminates when Jesus returns. But it's a foot. It's not a foot. It's, it's, it's in process. <laughs> I'm not going to go there. Okay. Um, the text from 2 Corinthians, most of you know this, uh, seven, five, chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if any person is in Christ, that person is what? A new creation, the... And... All things have become new. See, everything's become new. The oldest past. He says, but all things are from God. But the problem was, is that even though that's true, the new has come, the oldest past, the, the, the emerging tension was, the new is dawning, the old is passing, but what's confusing is, they're both here. They're both here right now. And they're intermingled. And, and somehow, because of that, it, it's a little confusing. Because you got some, it's like you, it's like new is measles in spots. <laughs> it's, it's here and there's a lot of this not measles. There's a lot that isn't new. There's a lot of old. And uh, what happens is that it doesn't take a person of faith very long when they have crossed the threshold of faith. They know something new has come into their lives. They understand without, in a very short order, they understand that there's a whole bunch of old that still hangs around. Even though there's something new in you, there's a bunch of old that hangs around you. And this kind of idea, it's, it's the notion that, that, that when the first flowers of spring appear, all of us know that there's a good bit of cold that keeps pounding, even though those initial flowers come. That's the idea, that Christ in his resurrection brought new life, the end of the world. But it was, it was at the same time where the old exists, and there's still winter even though there's flowers. And it's this kind of a, 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 a struggle and, they, and the early church tried to figure out what was going on, figure out what was going on in the world around them, and figure out what was going on inside them, because they knew they had come to Christ. They knew they were new creatures, and yet there was still old stuff in them. And so they would have this struggle. Paul articulated it so well, that there's something new in me that has different kind of fruit than what's in me in my fallen part, that there's like, it's like I'm a schizophrenic. <laughs> I've got a new and an old, and I don't know what it is, old. And so he, he says in Romans 7, he talks about this confusion. It's a gnarly thing. He says, for I don't know what I'm doing. I, I don't practice what I desire to do, but what I hate, that I do. I don't think he's saying he does it all the time, but he's confused. He says, but if what I don't desire, that I do, I'm consenting that, that there's, the law is good, so now it is no more I that do it, but the sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. It's part of the old. For desire is present in me, but I find it doing that which I, I, I don't find it doing that which is good. For the good which I desire, <laughs> I don't do. But the, the naughty, that's that I don't desire. That's what I practice. But if I, but if what I don't desire, that I do, it is no more I that does it. There's sin that's dwelling in me. I find then this law, that to me, while I desire to do good, evil is present. For I delight in God's law after the inward man, which is talking about that new part of wanting to serve God. He said, I see this other thing working in my members, warring against the law of my mind. There's that tension. 
warring and bringing me into captivity under the law of sin, which is in my members. Ah, what a wretched man I am. Who's going to deliver me out of this crud? Oh, wait a minute. Jesus. It always comes back to Jesus. Through Jesus Christ, it's possible. And that's what he's saying is, it is possible when you have all this counter stuff going on, new and old and warring going on, it is possible not through self-effort, but it is possible through a connection with the person of Jesus that you can start living new. Where the new overrides the old more than the old overrides the new. But the secret is not in you deciding to be more serious about your faith. It's in you learning how to figure out how to relate to Jesus and open your life to Jesus. It isn't about performance. It's about connection. Okay? So, (laughs) in a way, we're a schizophrenic people. We have this dawning of new in the midst of the dreadful old way of living and acting, and so we have this kind of Jekyll and Hyde thing going on. The secret to breaking it up, though, the secret to letting the new dominate is by understanding the resurrection. Now, hear me on this. Stick with me a second. The resurrection was a big deal to the early church. They talked about it a lot. Because Paul actually says, if there was no resurrection, this whole thing is worthless. The resurrection. Why did they talk about it so much? Because they understood that there was power that was released in the world when Jesus was raised from the dead. So Paul makes this statement in Philippians 3. He says, man, what things work for me and made me look good, those things I'm dumping for Jesus. Most assuredly, I count everything to be a loss because what I'm after is, is, is a connection and a knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whom I'll, I'll suffer the loss of everything. Count it, but nothing but refuse that I can gain Christ and be found in him, not having a rightness or right action or righteousness that's on my own, which is because of some kind of performance to an external law, but a kind of rightness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. The righteousness or the rightness which is from God by faith. He said, man, this isn't about human performance. This isn't about you getting your gig, you're getting a perfect life down. This is about you recognizing that you need Jesus. And when you connect with him and open your life to him, that somehow something happens in that encounter that makes you look different. It's a rightness that comes out of the relationship, not a rightness that comes out of your commitment, which means our commitment should be to the relationship, not to a way of living right? So he says, (laughs) the rightness which comes from God, the righteousness that comes from God. Where does it come from? Not us. He says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, becoming conformed to his death, thinking about his death, thinking about his burial, thinking about his resurrection. That's where I need to go. Because if by any means I can attain to the resurrection of the dead, not that I've already obtained it. I mean, there's still some there's still some old here, but, and I'm not made perfect, but I keep pressing on so that I can lay hold for that which I've been laid hold of by Christ Jesus. See, the idea here is that when, in the early church, that when the resurrection came, it wasn't like a 4th of July explosion, you know, a firework that went and then went to darkness. He rose from the dead. It wasn't like that. In their minds, it, the resurrection was like the opening of a power plant. Like that PSO one that's just up the river. That when that thing went online, it didn't just go, it went. It's still. Because it's on. 
on, we have light. Because it's on, you can stick stuff on the wall and get power. Because it's on, it means we can have electricity. Electricity changed the world. Because it's on. See, when Jesus was raised from the dead, it wasn't just something that happened. It's something that's happening. And so that early church, they were people that thought, I've just got to find the spout where the resurrection life comes out. I need to find the place to plug. And they knew it was not just, they knew it wasn't like finding a crystal and getting in touch with the crystal. Energy. They knew it wasn't like just meditation where, you, where you're trying to get, they're trying to you know, kind of connect with the energies of the universe. I mean, there are energies in the universe, but dude, we are not connecting with the energies of the universe. We are connecting with the maker of the energy of the universe. We're connecting with a transcendent one. And somehow they knew that if we could face him, if we could encounter him, if any person is in Christ, oh, new, new baby, new. Right? And that if you don't, you're going to have this manifestation of the flesh, this selfishness and sin and all that kind of stuff. When Paul talked about that and the church talked about sin in a Christian's life, they basically said, what do you expect? That's what you are. When you fail and when you're stupid, you ought to just say, par. <laughs> you do stupid because stupid you is. Right? All of us are stupid. All of us come from the land of broken toys. What the secret is, we should never be thrown by our idiocy. We should just know we're idiots and what we should be doing is saying, God, I need to find that spout where you come out. I need to find out how to trust you. I need to find out, Jesus, how me, with my personality, my background, my experience, what I understand about myself, how can I connect with you? That's what they were after, connecting with him. That's why when they met in the early, in the early days, they, the, some traditions still do this, but when Christians met each other in those early centuries, you know what they said to each other? He has risen. And they would respond, he has risen indeed. You know what they were saying? The power plant's up. The power plant's up indeed. <laughs> and they knew that they could be animated by a different kind of thing. That's why Paul writes in Romans 8, he says, but man, if the spirit of him who raised up Jesus from the dead gets in you, <laughs> then he who raised up Christ Jesus from the dead is going to mess with you good. He's going to give your mortal bodies life through his spirit who dwells you. So then, brothers, we're debtors not to live in the flesh, or to, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh, but there's a new way of living. For if you live after the flesh, you're going to end up doing stuff that kills you. But if you by the spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you live. For as many people as are led by the spirit of God, these are the children of God. For you didn't receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption by which we cry, Abba, Father. Now, here, here's what's so cool about this. is Paul is saying, that the resurrection life is found in the connecting with the person of God. It isn't a thing we're after. It's a person we're after. And somehow when we, somehow when we encounter God, somewhere deep inside, it's hard to put on words into words, but on some level we actually encounter an, a person who's other. We, it's usually in our interior sense. We have a deep sense of him. We feel his power. We, 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 and sometimes we feel delighted. Sometimes we feel dread. But, but somehow we know him, but we don't know him completely. I mean, we, we kind of identify him, but we know he's incomprehensible. We know he's more than being. He's greater than being. There's, there's some kind of a sense of, of, of beyond understanding, and we kind of become undone. But faith 
is about that. We encounter the, the interiority of God's presence and we leap towards it and we surrender to it. That's what faith is. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, that sucks for you. But that's what faith is. It is this interior encounter with a being we know little about other than he's good, he's engaged, he loves us. We, we can't get our minds around him. He's a trinity. We don't even get that. He, we know less about him than we know about him. But you encounter him, and inside you, you surrender. And when you do, it starts to re-articulate your life. You start being motivated by different kinds of things. You start changing. And it isn't you that changes. It's you're changed. It's, it's not you changing yourself. It's you're being changed. It's, it's like grabbing a chunk of uranium. You don't have to do anything. Just hold on. It will do it. Right? You, you, we don't have to do this. All we have to do is come to the place where it's done, to the person through whom it's done. <laughs> We encounter this. The trick really is, is just trying to figure out how do you do that? I mean, there's some things we do universally. You know, we come to baptism. And in the moment of baptism, we're entering into the death and the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. We're hoping that in that moment that there's a transforming grace that comes. It comes when we come to the Eucharist. And we come. That's why we encourage you. Come with expectation, with hope. You're picking up the bread that he claimed as his body. You say, well, isn't it a cracker? All I know is he said it's his body, that it becomes his body for us, and that that becomes his blood for us. And somehow we, he, he said that he's present in it. And then he said that when you partake of this, you're partaking of eternal life. So when you pick that up, you ought to be thinking, you ought to do something, ought to bow in us to say, come, Jesus, into my life. I open my heart to you. See, I think that any, any way that you can approach him Find ways. Prayer works that way. That's why we worship. We're trying to encourage people to have an encounter with Christ. But some of you, you, there's other things you have to do. It's not enough what we're doing. You you, you have too much old dominating. There's not enough new dominating. And it isn't because you're a bad person. Well, you are a bad person. That's a given. All of us are bad people. Right? But God works in bad people. You, you, if you've got more bad going on than good, it's just because you've been hanging around at the wrong pool. You're, you're too much into yourself. You haven't pushed past to face Christ. Where the, you're in the fruit of your flesh, which is selfishness and sin, instead of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. When you open up all of a sudden love and joy and peace and kindness and goodness, you're going, he's coming out of you. And it isn't because you're so wonderful. It's because he's so wonderful. Right? And if you're looking really good, it's not because we can go, oh my, you're such a great Christian. We have to say, man, God is such a good God. If, if you're, well, that's a whole other story. <laughs> find ways. It might be for you to, you might love to study and you find God's grace flowing through you as a result of your study. Some of you, you study, you'll backslide. You just don't want to do it. Some of you, you know, you love to intercede in prayer. I, I, we're coming up to Pentecost. I'm a tongue talker. I'm a charismatic Pentecostal tongue talker. I don't talk a lot about it, but I talk a lot in tongues. Because for me, it's like my secret energy pill. It's like when I pray in tongues, I'm telling you, I, I do a lot. When I pray in tongues, it's like I pour myself out to God and then somewhere he starts pouring into me and then I get great, I get ideas for preaching, I get ideas for life, I get busted on stuff. I love to pr- pray in tongues. Some of you may never do it. Some of you have, don't get anything out of it. Do something else. 
but find places where you can face the Christ. Some of you may do it while you're in service or through giving. The point is, run at facing the person of Jesus in your life so you can change. And this is my, I need to shut up, but here's, um, here's kind of the way I think it works. I bought this the other day, and if you don't understand what this is, you will be disappointed. Because if you're hungry, and you go to the store, and you see this on the shelf, and you think, oh, I love strawberries. And you go buy the strawberries, and go to your car, and open it up thinking you're going to eat those things that are on this picture. When you open it up, you're going to be fairly disappointed, because what's in here doesn't look anything like what's on here. It's false advertising. Doesn't taste very good, right? <laughs> Here's the point, though, is it really isn't a lie because this is really in here. What's out here is actually in here. And if you asked her, hey, if you asked her, hey, what do you look like? She'd say, I look like that. And you'd have to go, oh, you do, do you? <laughs> yeah, that's, what, that's me over there. I look like this. You, you, you'd have, you know, I mean, what are you going to do with her? If you put her in front of a mirror, she's going to be devastated. <laughs> she will lose all hope because she doesn't look anything like this. But how many know this is really in her? Right? This is really in her. And all she needs to do is find the place where she can be surrounded by the right kind of stuff. And it has to be a little bit interior, has to be a little bit under the ground, has to be a little bit secret. And when she gets under there in the right kind of atmosphere, the right kind of environment, the right kind of water, the right kind of people, the right kind of thing, she will start to grow and produce lots of these. See, this notion of Christian experiences, most of us when we come to Christ and we look at our lives, most of you, I mean, you may think you got this going on, but listen to us. This is you. I, you know, I'm, I'm one of your pastors. This I know. <laughs> it's, yeah. But the reason we encourage, come together. Let's gather together. Let's run at Christ. Let's open our hearts. Let's do this. Let's come on. Let's go, go, go. Why? Because we know that the more we pull each other together, the more we're going to start bringing this into the world. And you know what? The world is not interested in this. They're interested in this. And what we need to do is have a lot of this coming out of us, right? All right, one last verse. In fact, stand up so you think I'm done. Romans 12. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to what? Present your body. See, this isn't about performing for God. This is about presenting yourself to God. See, some of you can be pretty good on your own, but, but you're more like the Pharisees than the Christians. The Pharisees stood before God and said, Oh God, thank you. I'm not like other people. I fast, I tithe, I give. I can quote scripture. And Jesus said, You suck. You're not as good as you think you are. Is that better? (laughs) 
Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, not try to work at a holy and acceptable God. This is your service. This is what God's looking for. Not your performance, your heart. And do not be conformed to this world. That's the old way of living. But be what? Everybody say transformed. Transformed by doing something with your, with your mind, renewing it so that you can prove stuff. What are you proving? What's good, what's well-pleasing, what God's will is. It, this word transform literally is the Greek word metamorpho. Does it sound like a word you know? Metamorphosis. It's this notion. What it literally means is what's on the inside comes to the outside. It's this notion that somehow that, that when we come to God and we present ourselves to him and we open our hearts to him and we let him mess with the way we think about our lives, what's inside us is what happens with the caterpillar that you know, can hardly go and then, and then he crawls up into a branch or something and cocoons and hangs there for a while and is transformed. What's inside him, this little mini-legged thing turns into this beautiful butterfly. It's, it, it's not, it, it's that that was inside that caterpillar. See, there's something inside you. You can try to do all the things right. You know, I should read my Bible, I should pray, I should do, I want to serve the Lord. I should, and all you'll do is get tired in about four inches. Distance. The way that your life will matter is when you can fly. And that only happens when you let God metamorpho you. And that only happens in the encounter of presenting your life to Him. Figure out where that works. Figure out how often to do that. Do it often. Do it so the bread's fresh. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence. We thank you that you care about who we are and care about where we're going. Help us be fruitful people. Not fruity, fruitful. (laughs) And help us change the world. We ask in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, amen. One quick thing before... Come on up, Preston. One quick thing. Um, I'm... uh, doing an interesting thing this week. Appreciate your prayers. I'm going to um, the University of uh, to England this afternoon, University of Nottingham. I'm doing a church history degree, research degree. And uh, so I'm going there for classes for about a week. And then after that, I was invited to go, of all places, to the Vatican. And I'm going to the Vatican in Rome, and there's, a, there's the Pontifical Academy on Social Science. And what it is, it's, it's uh, intellectuals from all around the world, uh, um, um, Uh, Nobel Peace Prize winners, heads of state, and they're just meeting, they're talking about how governments are doing in terms of of making sure they're eliminating slavery and and bringing justice to people that are poor and that kind of thing, and how the church as a general way should respond, how government should respond. And I'm there because I'm I'm actually one of the secretaries. where I'm keeping record to be able to present to the, to, through the channels about what's going on. So I got in there. I'm actually staying in the Vatican where the, uh, where the cardinals stay when the Pope dies. And you know how they, they are sequestered and then they, and they stay there until the white cloud comes. Uh, so I'm actually staying in there. So it's going to be sweet. So God bless you. <laughs> I'm going to find out if the Pope is a Catholic.